Hi there, welcome to the Thomas Industry Update Podcast, actionable information for industry leaders. I'm Tony Uphoff. We often hear customers across the industry asking things like, is my product suitable for export? Do I need a permit or some special certification to start exporting? If you've asked yourself those questions and have considered exporting your product but aren't sure where to start, today's podcast will serve as your blueprint. We're joined by Ann Evans, the Director of the United States Commercial Service, which is a division of the U.S. Department of Commerce and International Trade Association. She'll have the answers you're looking for as you explore exporting opportunities for your industrial business. And describe your your role a little bit, and what is that role in the U.S. Department of Commerce, and how does it actually work? The basis of my role is my job is about jobs, and it's about growing U.S. industry. But the U.S. Department of Commerce, International Trade Administration, we are the agency within the federal government that promotes export trade for U.S. companies. We're kind of the GPS that navigates businesses into the global marketplace. We've got 106 offices here in in the United States, so they're accessible to any U.S. company. I'm the director for Connecticut, which means that I am in charge of Connecticut companies wishing to go global or are going global. And we work with about 1,200 companies here in Connecticut, and we assist them in selling their goods and services overseas. The key to this, most of those companies are small and medium enterprises. So they range from 50 employees to 500 employees. What are the biggest concerns you hear from business owners that makes them hesitant to begin exporting? They have a number of concerns. You know, is my product suitable for export? Do I need special licenses or permits or certifications? Is there help to fund our overseas sales? Will I get paid? Will my website be good enough for global business? Do I have a chance at being awarded an overseas government bid? And and then the big one, you know, time is money and how long will it take and how much management time will it take to market my goods? And the great thing about what we do at International Trade Administration is we help on all of those concerns. I mean, we have trade specialists here in our domestic offices and commercial officers and specialists in our overseas officers that work with the companies. We do market assessments for their products. Yes, this is a good product for their marketer. No, probably not. We can guide them in any requirements for certifications and licenses. Working with the Small Business Administration and, and the U.S. XM Bank, they can provide companies with U.S. guaranteed funding and export credit insurance. So yeah, you you will get paid. We have trade specialists who work with companies to make their digital presence and websites more globally friendly, and that helps attract overseas visitors. And we also have an advocacy service that helps support U.S. companies if they're bidding with foreign governments. So the companies must be committed to growing their business globally. If they're looking to make a major impact in a market, they need to budget the financial resources to fund the marketing. But there is some help. If they're a small company, up to like 500 employees, and they're eligible, uh, the SBA has marketing funds that are administered by the state. They're called step grant funding, and they can help fund trade show exhibits, trade missions, and a number of marketing services. So the U.S. government has a huge amount of support. We lead that support. But Companies shouldn't be concerned. They should just call us. Two things you mentioned there that that I'd like to just pick up on. One was 
the idea of companies must be committed to growing their business globally. You know, let me come at this this way. How much of your time or energy do you spend trying to convince a company they should get into exporting versus trying to help them do the exporting? Do you have to have a company that's already made a commitment that that's what they want to do? We spend a lot of time being reactive just because um, we're not a giant organization. We do a lot of digital work and webinars and things like that to go out to companies saying, here are the opportunities. Come to an event where companies could, you know, just come to a local event and hear about markets and what's available in markets. What are the big items that are being sold in those markets? We have companies that that we go out to, but mostly we have companies that come to us and may say, oh, you know, I'm getting hits on my website for this. Does this make sense? or help me along. But if they're not going to do some of the work themselves, because they know their product, you know, so we'll go to them and and talk to them about their product. We tend to be generalists. One day we could be working uh, with a company that has got an undersea sonar, and the next day we could be working with a company that does postal machines that they're selling in Eastern Europe. So, you know, we do a lot of different things. But We have to find a commitment with those people because we don't have enough time or resources here in our office for companies that aren't committed to. It's important. And and that commitment is very, very important. Yeah, and I couldn't agree more. It's interesting. And and your uh, group was nice enough to include us at the Connecticut Export Week. And I will tell you of the, gosh, probably well over a couple of hundred companies that I engaged with over a couple of days, I would say a huge chunk had interest if they weren't yet exporting. You know, most everybody obviously was there to, to learn more about it. Many were trying to figure out how to tackle it. And the other thing that we see a lot is the first thing is they're starting to see early digital footprints from potential international buyers or non-North American buyers on their websites. And that tends to sometimes be the first thing that happens that they're starting to have a heightened sense of awareness through their web analytics or other areas. But I agree, you know, one of the points we make to companies is the resources are available. There are playbooks to be able to do a successful exporting. There's a great market opportunity, but you need to make a commitment to stepping into the global market. You know, if you're gonna do this, there are ways to do it, but you need to make that commitment. Yeah, and and I see where, you know, if a company will contact me over a weekend in the evening, and because they need some help, and I know that they're working that weekend, they're working that night, I don't mind working with them because that's our job is is our commitment to them. And if these folks are committed, by gosh, I'm going to be right there next to them. Love it. And, and you know, we certainly see that. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, the thing I think, you know, the, the question we asked is what's the biggest concern? I think what you're illuminating in is oftentimes the biggest concern is simply a lack of understanding of how how to go about it. And, and so I think there is an opportunity here for continued education, but I think the clarion call you're also making is these business owners need to go on that journey themselves. They need to educate themselves. They need to learn more about it and then make a commitment that there's tremendous growth opportunity by going global, if you will, with their businesses. And once they do it, they're not doing it alone. They have us. We are yep. here. We're here in the U.S. and we're here in those overseas markets. 
So Ian, perhaps a, a logical follow-on question. What do you think the biggest growth challenge that you see for the business owners currently facing in Connecticut, perhaps, but also across the country? Workforce. I mean, that's what I hear every day, night and day, workforce. Manufacturing has grown so dramatically over the past decade, and the current workforce is also aging. So, and it's not just a USA problem. It's not just a Connecticut problem. It is really around the world. And we are in a race right now to train students to be in manufacturing and also basic business skills. And some of those basic business skills are, you know, getting to your job on time, acting properly at work. Because some of these things, just kids are not coming out of school with those kind of basic skills. So we really need to work with our, our schools and our businesses together and determine by region, sometimes by city or town, what's needed and how to speak to parents about what do they really want their, their kids to be growing up to do. And manufacturing is a great job. And for too long, we've said, oh, God, don't want to go into manufacturing. I mean, I went into a family business that was retreading. That was really dirty in the 1970s. And, you know, nobody wants their kids to do that. But manufacturing is unbelievably clean and efficient and well-paying. It's amazing. And we're not spending enough time bringing together educators, parents, and the schools to create a workforce for our communities. And you and I have had uh, had lengthy discussions around this, and you were, were great in showcasing some of the things that are going on in Connecticut. Or one of our previous podcast guests is Sal Menzo, who's a superintendent of schools in Wallingford, Connecticut, and somebody who's become a, a huge inspiration to us here. And some of the work that's going on in that area, really involving the whole ecosystem, and that's parents and businesses and retirees and the school system. The other thing that hits me about this, and it is to me the height of irony, is the perception of manufacturing, particularly in North America, far more so than in other parts of the world, is so dated. So I think in addition to the things you note, you know, we've got a fast retiring uh, group of baby boomers that have built a lot of these businesses. I think there is this odd stigma that still is attached to manufacturing perception jobs and careers. And that's an area that I think we need to attack as well. And I think slowly but surely we're, we're changing those perceptions. But couldn't agree with you more that the workforce skills shortage, if you will, is a, is a big, big issue. From there, Ann, why don't we touch on how do you view the most rewarding part of supporting these industrial businesses in your role? Uh, you know, what kind of impact do you see when businesses utilize the resources that the Department of Commerce offers? I think that the most rewarding is, is watching companies grow, watching companies succeed. Over the weekend, I, I just ran into a company that we work with. I was, at, I was at an event and he came over to me and said, I can't believe it. We're signing a joint venture with that Australian company you introduced us to last year and they came to the Space Summit a couple weeks ago and this is so exciting. And you know, you look at that and you say, that's what it's about. And this one company we've worked with in this office for years, but when we first met them 10 years ago, they had probably 30 or 40 employees. They now have over 200 employees and work in about 20 countries. A lot of that is directly related to what we've done. So there's a huge, huge amount 
of pride in that. And we have dozens of companies that come to us every year and say they've won bids because of advocacy. They've been able to navigate trade rules because of the training we've done. They've met new customers at trade shows that we've gone on with them or trade missions or our trade summits. So it's really about bringing Connecticut global. I mean, so I feel good every day because, you know, people run into me or they'll talk about me and they'll say, oh, you know, she's the lady that does the export stuff. (laughs) And, you know, you say, yeah, that's right. That's who I am. Well, Anne, I have been with you when people have introduced you that way. So, uh, no, I can, I can relate. I can imagine how rewarding that must feel to have that kind of direct impact. And, uh, you know, congrats to you and your team on that. That's, uh, it, it is really great to see. What advice would you give to an industrial business looking to break into the global market? Like, what are, what are the first steps, Anne, that you'd recommend that they take? Well, I mean, the first step is they should go on our website, trade.gov. Because that sort of gives you the landscape of what's happening in export business. And also, it's a direct way to contact us because, you know, you just look for your local office, you put your zip code in, and and you could find us. And then talk to our trade specialist and ask them to help you with an export plan. Tell them about what you build, you know, what you're making, what it's doing, what makes it unique. And we can sit down and help you with an export plan. You know, and an export plan can be as small as helping you improve your website because it may be that you can't travel overseas, but your website is your storefront. And this is fabulous. I mean, you can get new customers just by doing some improvement on your website. So the first thing is to go on to trade.gov and that leads you, you know, down the yellow brick road to us. Perfect. That's that's really helpful for our listeners. In the spirit of most surprising uh, things, what's the most surprising thing you've learned in working with these industrial businesses in your role with the Department of Commerce? Every day I meet incredibly successful businesses, you know, businesses that are both third, fourth generation and some that are really quite new. And many of them are just barely scratching the surface of global sales. I mean, just they aren't doing it. But at the same time, they're telling me how worried they are about diversity with their customers and that if they lose just even one customer, it could do major harm to their business. But then they start say, well, but I feel it's really risky to go overseas or to sell overseas. And what I do is I kind of point out what I call my poster children companies, you know, companies that are near them, that are in the next town, in the same town, and say, look, these folks have done it. And they came to us with the same problems five years ago, two years ago, 10 years ago. And they worked with us. They worked with us. They've worked with SBA and XM. And if they can do it, you can do it. And it can be done in baby steps too. You know, you don't have to take the big plunge, but it can be done in baby steps. So I'm always surprised at how successful companies are a little bit afraid to go that next step. Well, and isn't it ironic that oftentimes, because we have these types of conversations with companies all the time where they're concerned about, you know, revenue diversity, right? They've got, you know, three customers that account for 80% of their business. And if they lose one of them, they would have a catastrophe in their business. And yet they perhaps overemphasize the risk of starting to think about globalizing their business. So either one's a risk, but I would argue that Given the services you're talking about and approach to the uh, to support here on this, 
globalizing is easier today than it's probably ever been. And a lot of that is because of digital services. You know, there's so many things that we can bring to companies that can be included in links in an email or, you know, it's amazing to me when I think about when I did this 30 years ago, having people Xerox phone book pages so I could look for customers in Singapore. <laughs> this, this is like night and day and it's, it's not that hard and we are here and we are trade professionals. That's what we do. Well said. And by the way, for our listeners, yes, we are broadcasting from New York City. So if you hear uh, New York City's finest in the background, it's a normal course of action. Hey, and rounding out a little bit, what's the one thing, and these are two questions we ask every one of our podcast guests, what's the one thing you wish more people knew about manufacturing? Manufacturing is here to stay in the USA, and nobody does it better. Beautifully said, because I, I think that really cuts to this issue of perception we've been talking about and you know, workforce development and economic opportunity. If you could put one sentence on a billboard that expresses your personal philosophy, what, what would it say, Ann? Made in the USA and sold to the world. To access the resources Ann described in today's episode, check out the links provided in the show notes of this podcast. The Thomas Industry Update podcast is hosted by Tony Uphoff and produced and edited by Michaela Tierney. If you'd like to share your feedback about this or any other episode, please email us at podcast at thomasnet.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and rate us on iTunes or recommend us to a colleague. Your feedback helps us continue to advocate for industry across the airwaves. The Thomas Industry Update podcast is recorded at Five Penn Plaza in the heart of New York City, where Thomas has been headquartered for 121 years. Want to get more insights on supply chain, IoT, industrial business, and more? Sign up for our Thomas Industry Update daily newsletter. With more than 300,000 subscribers, your inbox will be in good company. Subscribe now for free at thomasnet.com updates.